Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Welcome to... The Omega Particle. I am your gracious and humble host, Jonathan Wiegand, the anchor man of the Federation, the doctor of Dilithium, as I previously said. Welcome to the today's program, and we're going to be covering the best and worst romances. I've um, never done anything like this before on the podcast, but uh, my beautiful wife was like, hey, why not talk about all the romances? Because there's so many in Star Trek. This is probably going to be a multiple part series down the road, but for now, we're doing the big. Heavy hitters. Um, Just want to give you a little bit of an update on the kind of the formatting of the podcast going forward. Now that Lower Decks is coming out on a weekly basis, I'm not doing reviews and a weekly podcast episode. That's insane. I work like 60 hours a week. I have a full-time job. I have uh, a child. I have uh, side hustles, so there's no way I can do that. So we're going to keep with the quick... Um, news and reviews going back to those for the weekly lower decks but then we're doing our big kind of interesting episodes every bi-weekly now so be on the lookout for that uh, this week is kind of be the first we're going to issue two out so now you know the rest of the story um, also I know a lot of people are really excited for the Star Trek convention happening or going to be happening in Vegas remember stay safe get vaccinated and stand six feet apart. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm obviously not going this year for a lot of reasons, but definitely stay safe, guys, and have fun. Kind of just feels good to kind of get back to normal, you know. Don't forget the Voyager backing. I think it's still open. I just got an email about it. It might still be open. So definitely check that out. Trying to get that Voyager documentary out as quickly as possible. So they need as many backers. And you don't want to do what I did with the DS9 one. I didn't support it. I didn't back it. And you know what? I had to wait like three or four months till it came on iTunes. And I hated that. So please uh, support that. It's a great for a great cause. Number one and number two It's going to be a hell of a good documentary. <laughs> I can cuss. Yeah. Yeah, it's a family show. Sorry, Luna's scolding me. Anyway, let's get into the thick of it with the best and worst romances in Star Trek. So we're going to be spanning a lot of the Star Trek overall today. And just for a reminder, um, I'm not doing any original series, just heads up, because Kirk pretty much just sexually assaulted everyone. (laughs) So I'm not going to be talking much about Kirk, but we're going to be heavily in the golden age of Star Trek, DS9 Voyager, and TNG. But let's get us started with the best romance number one numero uno in my opinion um you guys probably already know this is coming down the pike kind of like when um you're playing baseball and it's a full count you know something's coming right down the middle and so here it comes we've got commander Riker and loxana troy there it is loxana no that's not it that's the mom (laughs) 
Deanna Troy. Wow. Uh, Luna's screaming at me behind the glass. It's, yeah, Deanna Troy. I'm so sorry. I mean, they are, to me, the most kind of storied, heavily fleshed out relationship in kind of all of Star Trek, in my opinion. So they we see it at kind of in the middle when it comes around TNG. And to me, I think, I mean, they enjoyed the best of both worlds. They were able to be close, comfortable friends and colleagues all at the same time. As we know, the years went by, they rekindled their romance, and they eventually got married, and then blessed with two children, um, Thaddeus and Kestra, and then, as we know from Picard, Thad tragically died from a neurological disorder, and then Riker and Troy um, kind of just moved out in the woods with Kestra and kind of just raised her and made some banging pizza. However, the only qualm I have with this whole relationship with Troy and Riker is that super fleshed out, very emotional connection that way throughout the years. However, I don't think it's very realistic. I mean, could you imagine being on a freaking starship bridge with your ex and you're going through some stressful situations? You got Borg and you got Q and you got all these random weekly um, death-defying adventures and then you have to deal with your ex being there. Hella awkward. And not only that, you're getting into your ex humping anything that moves. <laughs> Talking about Riker. So I know for me, in like my past relationships before I got married, I was I treated relationships, or should I say, I treated the end of relationships like Sherman treated Atlanta. I burned that sucker to the ground. <laughs> I, I scorched earth, didn't want anything to do with you. And... And to me, that was helped me move on, helped me heal, move on with my life. You know, everybody has their own thing. That was mine. And I just couldn't, I couldn't live with that. I've dated girls in college and then seeing them on campus was so awkward. And then especially if they try to be friends, like I remember one time we were, uh, I mean, this girl broke up and we kind of had this tradition. We made pancakes on Saturday. And so I remember one time fresh after the breakup, maybe a week or two, she comes over at like nine o'clock on a Saturday and banging on our door. And it was like, no, this is not cool. We're not doing this anymore. Like, sorry, that's no, 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 no. Um, remember the Sherman comment. <laughs> so I think, I think it's a great relationship. They're, they've flourished and blossomed been through a lot, but to me, it's just not very realistic. Cause I don't think a lot of people out there listening you people across the Alpha Quadrant would want to be on the bridge with your ex. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. But it's a great kind of relationship that we, that um, it's kind of the perfect one in the Trek universe. So anyway, now we're talking about the best, but don't forget, friends, we're also going to be talking about the worst. And we're going to flip-flop it here. And so to me, the worst romance in all of Star Trek, and this is kind of an unknown one, but it's a biggie in my world, is the seven Jacote relationship in like the last season and a half of Voyager. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, okay, so if you don't know, like, so Voyager's trying to get home, blah, blah, they're battling the Borg. And all of a sudden, out of freaking nowhere, literally left field, Seven and Jacote suddenly have a thing. And they started like going on dinners and, and, like, Seven's doing rehearsals in the ho- holodeck to kind of get ready for her dates. And, it just feels super, like, forced. And my friends, it is super forced, and I'll tell you why. It's forced because 
the writers actually had to do this to keep Robert Beltran, who plays Chakotay, on the show. Um, if you remember from our Delta drama in the Delta Quadrant episode, he actually wanted to leave, I think, for the last season. And they were like, mm, we'll give you a relationship with Seven. He's like, okay. <laughs> and that's really the only reason he stayed on. So if you feel that it's been forced and it came out of nowhere, then you're actually absolutely right. And that's why. And I feel like the biggest issue is that the characters really had no previous connection in the show. And I think that's I think that's a huge part of it. Like you have to actually, you know, do your job and be a good writer. And but I understand like sometimes these things happen and you have to force feed it down the fans' throats. I feel like the doctor in seven would have made so much more sense. And let's not get into specifics. He's a hologram, she's, you know, real. <laughs> um and actually, I think there's like a, didn't like Barkley have that? Yeah, Luna's. Yeah, it, it's it's some type of like hollow deck sickness thing where you get addicted to living to, in it. And I think eventually Seven would have had that, but it wouldn't have lasted forever. But the connection was both parties were trying to be human, trying to discover their humanity. And I think that would have been a great commentary on humanity in general. I mean, and there was potential for it. I think they were even trying to set up for it because through the seasons after season four, when seven joined, um, you see the doctor kind of like unrequited love, kind of lovesick walking around the ship. I mean, he's even debating, came really close to telling seven how he felt. And I think it's, I think that would have been the best thing for them to do. But I also understand contractual relationships and also trying to keep everybody happy and keep the the bridge crew intact for the last season. So it makes sense. They didn't want a Jadzia Dax kind of thing happening on Voyager. So it's understandable. But now you know the rest of the story on that one. Now moving on from the worst first, to me, the absolutely worst relationship on Star Trek to the second best. Now, like I said, this is probably my favorite relationship in all all of Star Trek and I would say even all of sci-fi because I sympathize and I've been there in this relationship on one side of this relationship before where as we'll get into and I think that had a huge emotional connection to me and I watched this for the first time when I was single so I completely understood and I was living alone in West Virginia so maybe (laughs) maybe it's not as good as I think it is but to me my favorite and the second best in my opinion is the Kira and Odal relationship in DS9. So if you haven't seen DS9, this is not going to mean a hill of beans to you. <laughs> but to me, I think it's it's one of the best. And obviously, spoilers. Should I have to say spoilers? I feel like I say this all the time. But anyway, um, I've always sympathized on the Odo character because he's you kind of have that unrequited love, like you're that, that silent longing to be with somebody that has no idea how you feel. And nothing says middle school John like that. <laughs> and it, it's a great, and this is unlike, I think, with that we see with Riker and Troy. This is actually very realistic that this does happen. People live their lives for years with this unrequited love, and they keep it to themselves and the other party going through relationships like Kira did. And boy, talk about powerful, ambitious men uh, that, she, that she dated. Um... But I feel like that in him just having to suffer quietly, I feel like that resonates with a lot of people out there. And that's why I think it's one of the best. 
And also it was just kind of like, to me, the Reiners really built this up because you could tell this was, even though they kind of came in the, that relationship and they came with that kiss and it crescendoed in that episode, I think they've been building for at least season five all the way up to this and, and kind of just laying that foundational um, brick so we can finally get to the roadway of romance. <laughs> so I think, and then plus it was fun having Vic involved and like setting up and tricking everybody. And um, and to me, it's just more realistic because it's like, hey, that that's probably what's going to happen. If someone's really shy, they're going to have to be tricked into this. Number one, number two, and if you've seen the episode, you know what I mean. <laughs> and number two, um, what makes it probably another is the ending. So Odo has to say goodbye, and that makes perfect sense. You know, like he has to move on, and he has to be there for his people, lead his people, and I think he has to. I think he has to, like, yeah, heal his people from that from the disease that the Federation created. And I think that's one of the most best endings because that's probably what would happen in the real world. That happens all the time. That happened to me. Like I was dating a girl in high school for about a year, year and a half. And we broke up because we were going to college and we were like, let's be real. Like we don't want to do this back and forth thing and, and the uh, long distance and it's eventually going to end anyway. Like let's just cut it off and enjoy our summer before college. And that's what we did. And I worked at a windshield factory. <laughs> so um, I think it's, to me, it's one of the most, A, I can relate, and B, it's it's the most realistic. Like, not everybody can work with their ex on a bridge, but a lot of people have unrequited love. And also, uh, one more point before I wrap up and go to the, the worst one, the second worst, is that, I mean, it teaches a valuable lesson. Do you, bro, you got to tell you people how you feel. You got to be open and honest with your feelings. And I think that's a, a great lesson that sci-fi can teach that it relates to real life. So I'll stop talking and enamoring about Odo and Kira because I can do it all day. All right, so now we're going to move on to worst number two. Now, buckle up because we're going to have to steep in a big pile of controversy. <laughs> Now, when I say this, you're going to be like, John, they were never a couple. And I'd be like, correct. If you literally just watched the show, they were never a couple. This is a ad hoc uh, appendix ad. So the second worst romance, in my opinion, is the Elam Garrick and Dr. Bashir. Now, I just want to say first and foremost, I don't care that the characters are, quote unquote, secretly gay doesn't matter if they're gay straight trans whatever doesn't matter i don't like it and it's the second worst because what ira came out in the ds9 documentary all of those years late like it was like 20 years later 25 years later um in the ds9 documentary what we leave behind he decides to just add oh bashir and garrick were secretly gay and they secretly wanted to be together but us writers couldn't do that because the people weren't ready for it and we just couldn't we couldn't do it and and it just wasn't the right time and i got to be honest i think that's a load of bullcrap <laughs> i mean there is so much like progressive relationships in ds9 that pushed the boundary the first uh lesbian kisses on ds9 i mean they they pushed the boundary on ds9 to a great point. And I feel like 
that they saying, oh, we can have a gay relationship. I feel like it's kind of bullcrap because they already had multiple examples, maybe just one off episodes, but they, it was there. So I feel like for them saying, oh, people wouldn't like it. I'm like, yeah, people wouldn't like it, but it wasn't outrageous. You know what I mean? But I don't know. I was like eight at the time. So I don't really understand what the country was like. However, I feel like to them for now to go back and kind of rewrite the history to be like, yeah, they, they were gay, but we just never showed that kind of reminds me of what JK Rowling did with Dumbledore. Like, uh, Dumbledore's gay. I'm like, you wrote the books 15 years ago. Why? And there's no instances at all that he's gay in the books. Again, not a problem. There's nothing wrong with that. However, I think that I just hate when people go back and just and reimagine characters or change characters. And it's like you were progressive in a, in a time that wasn't, whether that's the writing, whether that's the relationships, whatever. Enjoy that. Be proud of that. Don't have to go back and change everything. Because I feel like at that point, you're just kind of almost cheapening what you did before. You know what I mean? So, like I said, <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be controversial. I don't think it's a very controversial thing. But I feel like people um, are very opinionated about this Garrick Bashir um, revelation. However, um, moving on, staying in the DS9 world... We're going to go to the third best romance, in my opinion. And that's between Jadzia Dax and our man, Worf. You think if Worf would open a seafood place, it'd be called Worf's Worf? Food for thought. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're seeing DS9 again, but this time we had the best with Odo and Kira, the worst, and now we're back again with the best. Um, there's a lot of DS9 on the list because DS9 was the best show written. Facts. No cap, as they say. So this is, again, one of the most recognizable and famous couples in all of Trek. I mean, I think a couple years ago they even remade and put on the costumes of the Klingon wedding. Um, Terry Fowler did. And it's another real-life example to me. And I think that's what makes the best romances when we see the best realistic relationships on screen. And I mean, these people, these two people, Worf and Jadzia, literally fight all the time. <laughs> and they fight and they fight, but they won't give up on the relationship. And I think, I mean, you can expect nothing less from literally two Klingons. <laughs> That's a little wink of the tip of the cap to all my Trill people out there. So, I mean, we've all been in good relationships and bad relationships. And I've been in relationships that... You consistently fight all the time and bicker over everything. And you know what? I hated it. That is not for me. I don't like that type of lifestyle. That's why I ended that relationship. It ain't cool, man. And so I understand that some people love that. And it's like that's how they express love and show love. It's like, hey, we're, we're just going to get into it. And I, and I understand kind of why Klingons would do that. And they're like, Rawr, we like to fight. So it's, to me, another great, way they fleshed out those characters and the Klingon culture because I think before DS9 we had no idea about the wedding culture and about like the Klingon story about them killing the gods and the gods feared and they roared and and also you bring in more Kalos lore with all of the wedding and um yeah so I think it's again leads a whole nother layer to be fleshed out from the Klingons which is great and that's and that's what makes them one of the most fleshed out races in all of Star Trek and it makes me think it's kind of like, 
what other kind of in-depth like look of relationships in the Klingon world do we get if if you take this one away? And I think the other one is like DS is um, Disco is in Discovery. So I mean this, and then you don't even really get too much except a weird nude scene. <laughs> really CBS, but um, so I feel like without this foundation and almost like cornerstone of a relationship in DS9, we really wouldn't know too much about the Klingons um, and their marital and how they view relationships and how they're really great, passionate lovers. We wouldn't know anything like that. But another aspect of this relationship that I think makes it one of the best is that we see a side of love that's normally not shown. And especially in the 90s was very rarely shown. And that's grief. The other side of the coin is grief. And when Jadzia dies, we see Worf in the last season of DS9 work through those emotions, go through those emotions. And I think that's what makes it special. Because, I mean, a lot of people deal with grief out there. And it's hard to verbalize. It's hard to show exactly what you mean. And to see a main character, especially in sci-fi, dealing with that, I think that's really powerful stuff. And I think it's something that shouldn't be downplayed, in my opinion. So, but it's also awkward that your wife's symbiote is also there. And then he then sleeps with her. Awkward. If if you tell some people, like, the storyline of DS9, it makes no sense. Out of con- I think there's, a, like, an Instagram account called, like, Out of Context Star Trek. And I think that would definitely work with that. Um... Moving on to the worst, the third worst romance, in my opinion, of Star Trek. And I know this might surprise some of you, and I'm ready to steep in controversy again with my worst list here, is Belana Taurus and Tom Paris from Voyager. Now, I think after the Neelix-Kess relationship, which was kind of debating, like, which one's going to go, the the Paris-Torres or the neelix and I chose the Taurus Paris one simply because how predictable it is. Like once Kess went away so they could bring in Jerry Ryan, we all knew that this kind of relationship was, was going to happen. It wasn't a surprise when they got together. But even then, I mean, they needed a relationship kind of in the meat of the show to kind of help it along and, and add some more context and more plot lines and stuff like that and it's just to me I think it's just I don't know I think I feel like they so there's Voyager they're trapped in the Delta Quadrant and there's a lot of hostile aliens and hostile encounters there's a lot of aggression that's kind of pent up so they the writers were like yeah translate that into sexual tension I was like "Mm, okay (laughs) whatever and I just feel like the arguing, the bickering they do is kind of unlike Jadzia, Dax, and Worf. It's like they argue over stupid stuff. And like Jadzia and Worf would argue about uh, whether Jadzia needs to like apologize to his mother-in-law or to the house of his, you know, like it it would be like actual legit arguments. (laughs) This one's like, you watch too much TV time. I don't like that. And it's like, okay, you get the naggy 1960s housewife and the lazy husband that's not good writing i don't like that it's super predictable and again makes me think it was an accidental mission number one them getting to the uh delta quadrant by way of the caretaker 
And it just kind of wasn't a crapshoot accidental relationship, to be honest. And then you have to deal with the whole Klingon thing and repressed trauma that Blana dealt with as a child. And it's just, to me, it's just, they needed something and they just threw this at the wall and it stuck. It's not the best. Again, like I said before, they should have gone with the Doctor and Seven. That's the better one. That's where the money's at. And they squandered it for the Proton guy. I don't even know his name, which I hope they don't make a show of. Um, Captain Proton. Yeah. So, moving on. <laughs> um, so, our last best relationship. This one's a fun one. And it's not a very deep one. Like, the, all the other ones have been kind of big heavy hitters. This one's just a little one. It's a little one. But I love it. And I think you will too when I say it. And I'm talking about, of course, Vash and Captain Picard. Oh my gosh. We're talking about the lady who is everything not like Picard. Um, they could not be more opposite. Captain Picard and Vash were, I mean, they had this like camaraderie because they were both on vacation on Rise at the same time. And Picard was kind of didn't know that Riker set him up with the sex statue. Try explaining that to a non-Star Trek fan to be like, what's that statue? Oh, it means he wants sex. And he just lays it out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's I think it's a fun relationship because we get to see a whole different side of Picard than the straight-laced, you know, professional kind of guy. And she's very and Vash is not like that at all. She's very strong-willed. She has a passion. She's she's not very by the book at all. But they have an underlying love of ancient artifacts and archaeology. So that's cool to kind of have that baseline interest to share with one another. Um, and that's actually how they got in trouble because they were trying to dig up artifacts and they weren't supposed to and all this fraggy nonsense. But I think that's okay. You know, like it's not going to be a permanent relationship. They're not going to get married and have kids. She's not Dr. Crusher here, but it's just a fun time. And it's a great way to see other sides of his relationship. And I think luckily we see them throughout the entire show. Um, several times. I think if she even went off with Q one time to just travel around the, the galaxy, which is wild to think about. Um, so I think this is one of my favorite relationships because we don't really, we get a very sometimes intense, in-depth relate view of our relationship with Picard. But this one's a little bit more lighthearted and he kind of lets down the top button a little bit. So it's one of my favorites and that's why. Um, we're going deep down deep, deep down into Enterprise. Now, I know not a lot of people have watched Enterprise, but it's good. Some parts. <laughs> um, Captain Archer is one of my favorites, but I w this has nothing to do with Captain Archer. This actually has to do with Trip Tucker and T'Pol and why I think there are number four of my worst romance in all of Star Trek. So, first off, I hate how just over-sexualized T'Pol and all of Enterprise is. It makes no sense. Like, the very idea that you have to decontaminize and you're freaking flying a starship is that you don't have a vapor, you don't have a spray. The only way to decontaminize yourself and get rid of the germs is you have to rub lotion all over your body and ev all over everyone's body with you and get completely naked. That makes no sense. That's strictly ratings, and I hate it. I hate that. Like, it's like, come on, do better. 
be better. I feel like just like comedians, when TV show writers get in the way of just doing over hyperalized sexual stuff, it's just bottom of the barrel. No real talent. Boom. Dropping bombs. <laughs> I, I mean, at the beginning, I really liked how the relationship flourished, like how it was going to be like that he eventually they got together and it was this cat mouse back and forth. But to me, it eventually turned out to just kind of be falling flat. And I don't think it was really a, I don't think it was very well written. I feel like they felt that T'Pol was a sexual character on the show. So they were like, okay, well, she has to be in a relationship. Let's get her with another good looking guy and let's just figure it out. And it's, I mean, they do have a great dynamic. He's very straight laced. He's like a country boy from Florida. That's a great dynamic. However, to me, it's one of the worst ones because, again, it's all... I don't think it's very realistic because she comes from Vulcan and they are very straight-laced about their relationships. Look what was Spock and his mom. It's, it's not... It's very frowned upon. And I just don't feel like that would have happened, especially when Earth and, and humans were such even even lower level than they were around a couple hundred years later with Spock. And to me, I just feel like I don't really see that happening in everyday Vulcan world, number one. And then number two, I just feel like it was just thrown in to be thrown in. And then number three, I just feel like it was hypersexualized to get the viewers. And nobody likes that. <laughs> so to me, that's why it's my fourth worst relationship in all of Star Trek. And that's all we have today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. All right, Luna, let's get into the thick of it. Thank you so much for listening, guys. And remember, we have our first Lower Decks uh, review episode coming out soon, I think in the next day or two, so be on the lookout for that. And then also remind you of the new format that bi-weekly episodes for the in-depth kind of fun episodes and then weekly reviews for the lower decks also thank you guys so much for reaching out it's been great happy to talk with you guys and always remember you can talk to us on instagram at omega particle podcast on twitter omega particle underscore and on facebook at the omega particle podcast thank you so much guys and always remember second start of the right straight on till morning